Welcome to episode 91 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we are looking at season 4, episode 9, Terma. The action primarily takes place in Florida, Washington, and Russia. And the IMDb user score has risen from 8.3 to 8.5 out of 10 since I originally compiled the numbers at the start of this whole podcast series. This episode was written by Frank Spotnitz and directed by Rob Bowman. Bowman can be depended on for some amazing visuals, and that comes into play here. That great overhead shot that opened last week I talked about was originally filmed for this episode, and then was pulled ahead into part one as the teaser. So the entire teaser to last week was actually directed by Bowman, rather than Kim Manners. So now this episode reveals that Mulder survived the black oil infection, and has been successfully vaccinated by the Russians against the black oil. He manages to escape from the prison in an unsuccessful attempt to kill Krychek, and makes it back to Washington through St. Petersburg, presumably with the aid of Marita Kovarubias from the previous episode. Scully learns more about the virus that has infected the doctor, and is called to a Senate hearing, which she feels is focused on the wrong thing. Specifically, they're trying to figure out where Mulder is, as opposed to trying to figure out who got killed in Skinner's apartment, where the rock from the attache case is now, and so forth. They also start to learn about the deaths from the black oil at a retirement home in Florida, but they don't learn as much as the viewers do about the secret American attempts to develop their own vaccine. And a Russian agent has come out of retirement to kill every witness. Krychek seems to be working with the Russians and ends up losing his arm when some rebels that he ingratiates himself with decide to help protect him against the tests by cutting his left arm off, since that's a critical part of the tests. So this episode establishes the nature of the vaccine that we've been hearing about for a while and leaves Krychek in a very different status quo and tells a pretty good action story. The guest cast is pretty much the same as it was last week. And I also feel I should remind you that this came out when a structure had been found in Martian soil that looked a lot like fossilized bacteria. It didn't ultimately turn out to be bacteria, but at the time I thought it was, which is why Balder's speech before the subcommittee makes reference to, you know, accepted discovery of life on Mars headlining every newspaper in the world. So generally speaking, it is pretty enjoyable. Now, the new component to the show, the science, is actually going to be the biggest part of this week's episode. The science involved here is really about vaccines. Bottom line, vaccines work. Unless you're immunocompromised or of extreme high or low age, get vaccinated. Now, you hear people telling you not to get them, one of the reasons they tell you not to get them is because they may contain trace amounts of formaldehyde. And by trace, I mean if you drink one glass of red wine, your liver converts the alcohol into the amount of formaldehyde contained in 120 vaccines because that much formaldehyde is safer for your body than the ethanol alcohol. If you have enough vaccines for formaldehyde to be a risk factor, you'd already be dead just because the sheer volume of fluid is more than your circulatory system can contain and your blood vessels would literally burst because you'd have so much liquid in your body. It takes 50 milligrams of formaldehyde intake in one day for every kilogram of body mass before it starts to have negative effects. So the average three-year-old is 26 pounds or 11.9 kilograms, so that three-year-old would have to take in 590 milligrams of formaldehyde in a day to experience any negative effects. That means receiving about 29,484 vaccinations, that's 14.7 liters of vaccine pumped into a circulatory system that contains, on average, 0.82 liters of blood. The vaccine would have to take up 18 times the volume of your blood in your circulatory system 
before the formaldehyde becomes a problem. And by then, you've got much bigger problems than that. To move to toxic levels of formaldehyde, you don't need 50 milligrams per kilo per day. You need 250 milligrams per kilo body mass per day, or 73.5 liters of vaccine. One liter of vaccine has a mass of about one kilogram, so you'd have to pump anywhere from 15 to 74 kilograms of the vaccine into a 12 kilogram body before the formaldehyde becomes a problem. If you're concerned about the mercury that you might have heard about, well, even if it were still an ingredient in vaccines, which it's not, it wouldn't be a problem. Mercury was contained in the thimerosal molecule, which the human body cannot break down, but instead harmlessly expels from the digestive tract. Denying your family a vaccine because of the mercury in the thimerosal is almost like denying your family table salt because it contains chlorine, and chlorine gas was a weapon in World War I, or denying your family baths because water contains hydrogen, and hydrogen is highly explosive. I say it's almost like that because salt still contains chlorine and water still contains hydrogen, but vaccines no longer contain thimerosal or mercury. And finally, you might have heard that vaccines cause autism. It was never claimed that they all do. There was only one doctor who claimed that the measles, mump, and rubella vaccine did. That was Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who I may not still be allowed to call a doctor since he lost his medical license over this, but he's not a malign martyr. He's a con artist who patented his own replacement for the MMR before doing the research he was paid to do that would find a problem with the existing MMR so the makers could be sued by families who had already hired unscrupulous lawyers to do so. Even if you don't believe that, the math is undeniable. Though it's redacted, his published papers, which Wakefield still stands by and says are accurate, are available online. And the OC claims that the MMR vaccine triggers autism in one out of every 110 patients. So in order to prove that with a valid scientific process, he did an experiment that had two random population samples. One group would have taken the vaccine and have nothing else in common across the entire population, and the other group would have not taken the MMR vaccine and have nothing else in common across the entire population. That's why it's hard to do these studies today. The people who don't take the vaccines tend to have a lot of other things in common, such as organic and or vegan diets, avoidance of other Western medicines, and so forth. The groups would also have to be large enough to measure the autism rates precisely enough to measure a difference as small as 1 out of 110 people. Now, how big that group is depends on what confidence interval you want. So if you just want to have a one standard deviation effect, that's not enough to claim discovery, but it's enough to justify further research. If you want to measure it accurate to two standard deviations or to three standard deviations, basically saying, you know, with one standard deviation, you're down to a one in six chance that the effect you're seeing is a random effect and, you know, not some real effect. If you get to two standard deviations, then instead of having a 1 in 6 chance, you've got like a 1 in 20 chance that it's just complete coincidence. If you go to 3 standard deviations, well, now you're down to 1 in 100 chance and so forth. So the more standard deviations you go, the more confidence people have in the results, and you need to get to about 2 to 2.5 standard deviations before you can confidently claim discovery. So at the time of Wakefield's research, the accepted autism rate was about 1 in 125 people. Today we have broader definitions of the autism spectrum disorders, so it's not just autism and Asperger's, but also includes ADD, ADHD, and so forth. The rates reported by the media are claimed to have increased, when really we're just understanding more people that have the condition. So we've just changed what qualifies as autism spectrum disorder rather than or actually seeing more people in the population with it on a per capita basis. Uh, If anything, with vaccine rates coming down since Wakefield published 
and the autism spectrum disorder rates going up, it would seem that vaccines prevent autism and not cause it. Or frankly, with autism symptoms now including a single-minded dedication to task and attention to detail that are common in successful medical researchers, one could argue that autism causes vaccines. But anyway, uh, back to Wakefield. Doing the math and using a very conservative one-sigma level to measure and somehow claim discovery that, you know, one in six chance of it being coincidence, you can do that math and show that Wakefield would have had to have had a minimum of 1,524,698 patients in his study to make the claim that he claimed. He used a little less than that. In fact, he used 1,524,686 patients fewer than that. He actually claimed to have measured an effect that impacts 1 out of 110 people by studying 12 patients. And those 12 patients were not only not random, they were found by taking out a newspaper ad asking if anyone had noticed strange medical symptoms after receiving the MMR vaccine, and those were the only 12 people that replied. That is explicitly stated in his original paper with his research process. It's right there from the start. That's a matter of record in his own words that he still stands by. His studies also indicated that a disproportionate number of people in that sample size of 12, in fact, eight people, exhibited digestive system problems that were briefly thought to be correlated to autism spectrum disorder, but which are now understood to be unrelated. So you can claim he's a martyr. You can claim he's a victim of suppression by big pharma. You can claim that the fact that he sent 12 different grad students to interview these 12 different patients, compile the results themselves, and then they stood on trial and testified against him because when they compared notes with each other, they found that they didn't have as many cases of autism and digestive issues as he was claiming, so it looked like he fudged the numbers. You can claim all of that are just people lying and stacked against him, but you cannot deny the fact that his own publication shows that he was mathematically incapable of drawing the conclusion he drew given his population size and methods. So anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, and that's way more than enough for this week. As always, you can rate this in any of the shows you listen to on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use. It really does help the shows get noticed. Also share links to the show with friends who you feel may be interested. And finally, thank you for listening.